Well, um, we're in the series uh, in the life of King Asa, and uh, we're calling this series "Seeking God." And if you were to like kind of sum up like what this story and what uh, what this kind of these three passages of scripture that we're working through is all about, it's all about a people who are called to renew their commitment and their seeking of God. And I don't know if uh, you guys have had this experience, but I'm guessing if you have, if you follow Jesus long enough, but everybody at some point in their life, um, when they commit to seeking God wholeheartedly, they eventually come to a point where it gets hard to keep going. Is that true in your experience? Like, you're following Jesus, you're Jesus, I'm gonna give you my whole life. I'm not gonna be half-hearted. Like, I'm gonna give you my whole Life, and I'm going to seek you every day. I'm going to seek you in every moment, and you're seeking the Lord. And then at some point, you start having this internal dialogue where you go, "Am I crazy? You ever had that before, where you're like, it, like I feel like I'm insane right now." You get to this point where you're like, "Is this too much? Like, am I weird?" Um, and then you start looking around, and you're like, because uh, I don't feel like the majority of people are following Jesus this way, and I'm just telling you, if you actually try to follow Jesus the way he said to follow you, it ends up looking really weird to others. And then all of a sudden, you'll start to realize the people around you, you're like, they'll look at you like, dude, you are a little too much on this Jesus thing. Like, you're, like, you're kind of weird. Um, maybe you've heard this, the trajectory you're on is like not even sustainable. And so we pursue Jesus in this way. And then here's, here's one of the things that I've noticed. Uh, when you are wholehearted, wholehearted people live lives that don't match the half-hearted lifestyle. And I want to say this again. Wholehearted people live lives that don't match the half-hearted lifestyle. And I don't mean this in any sense of like a self-righteousness, like if you're, if you're pursuing Jesus and you're seeking him and uh, like you're constantly evaluating how everybody's not, we all know those people, it's like I'm just so passionate about the Lord, I wish you guys could be more like me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just genuinely talking about when you seek God the way that he says that we are to seek him, your norm will not be the other people's norm. And what's dangerous about this is it can actually start to create this inner dialogue that I was talking about, but you can start to doubt you start to doubt the legitimacy of what you're doing or the even like, can I even sustain this? You start to question. And what's most dangerous about this is it could actually end up leading you a, to a place where you start to let up on the gas. Have you, any of you guys had that experience? Pursuing, Philip has. You're seeking the Lord, Philip. I'm so proud of you. But we all have that experience where we go like, man, I'm tended up to let up the gas because I feel like I can't sustain this. And what we're going to see in tonight's passage in the life of King Asa is that when, when God, uh, when he's calling his people to seek him, there always comes a point where he shows up in an encouragement in the time that we need him the most. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 15. And just for a little bit of uh, backstory for those of you who weren't here last week. Uh, so King Asa, he's one of the king's of God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, the nation of Israel was actually split between two kingdoms at this point. The northern kingdom uh, was up, yeah, up in the north, obviously, and the southern kingdom uh, was where King Asa was reigning. And so he was king of the southern kingdom, and he inherited a kingdom that was completely compromised. So like idols filled the land, and uh, like the kings before him did not lead in the ways of God, and so this whole nation is completely compromised. They have... Uh, God, Yahweh, as one of their gods, but not the one God that they gave their whole devotion to. So Ada kind of, Ada, Asa is now called Ada tonight. So uh, Asa starts this renewal movement, and he starts calling the people to seek God. He starts 
purging, we use this language of he's purging the idols and then he's pursuing God. And we talked about how the Christian life is constantly, it's purging the old and it's pursuing the new. It's purging off the old and pursuing the new. And so Asa, he keeps, he keeps leading the people in this renewal movement. Uh, we saw that uh, after that he experienced a season of peace. God blessed Asa's repentance with peace. Uh, but eventually peace doesn't last forever, and so pressure came. There's this invading army, and so in his peace, he experienced pressure, and rather than compromising under pressure, uh, he prays under pressure. He's not panicking, he's praying, and then he calls on the name of the Lord as God, and God rescues Asa from the invading army, and it's this beautiful start to Asa's life, and so we're gonna pick up uh, where we left off last week. So Second Chronicles um, chapter 15, let's look at verses one through seven. It says, the spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. And so uh, we actually don't know who Azariah is, but he's a prophet. That's all we have from the story. And it says, he went outside to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. So he's, he's like, listen to me, king, and all you people. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then he goes on to talk about Israel's backstory. He says, for a long time, Israel's, Israel was without the true God, without priests to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and another city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. So it was just complete chaos back in those days. And I love this. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. And so when I talked about at the beginning here, like when you're seeking God and you're, you're tempted to kind of like burn out, uh, Asa's at this point in his life. So now think about this. This is 15 years later from the last chapter. So Asa, as the king of Israel, for 15 years, he's been leading the people in this like constant like renewal movement and he's like been purging the old and pursuing the one true God. And so he's been doing this for 15 years and he's leading the people and all these things. And I would, I would guess if you were to talk to Asa at the end of his life and you said, what were you feeling like at this moment in your life? Like you've been leading the people, leading people just hard in general, but then you're trying to lead them in the ways of God. You're trying to tell the whole people to put away all their idols and to seek the one true God. And you've been doing it for 15 years. I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm like, after like one or two weeks, I'm like, okay, this is a lot. Asa's been at it for 15 years. And then what I love about this chapter, right when he would probably feel like he's going to burn out, or, or probably right in his life where he starts going, am I actually doing this right? Is there any fruit? God comes in with a prophetic word of an encouragement, and it's a beautiful thing. And the first thing that I think we learn in this section of scripture is that God's strong encouragements are often accompanied with stern warnings. That God's strong encouragements are often accompanied with stern warnings. Look, you, you look at like the mixed bag of uh, encouragements and warnings that Asa gets. So he's, he's in this moment, 15 years in, like I said, and then God's saying, Asa, I'm with you. He says, Asa, I'm with you. Can you imagine the living God saying to you, I'm with you. He says, keep seeking me. He's like, this is encouragement. Asa, keep seeking me. He says, be strong, don't give up. And then I love this. He says, your work will be rewarded. How refreshing would that be? You're 15 years into your work. You're having questions. You're having doubts. Some of you relate that, can relate to that even in your own life. And you hear God saying, your work will be rewarded. It's good what you're doing. 
And then in the very same breath, God gives encouragement, but he also gives warning. Do you notice this? It says the Lord is with you when you are with him. The Lord is with you when you are with him. It says if, if, if you seek him, he will be found by you. And he goes, but Asa, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, in my own life, <clears throat> I've, I've, uh, I was actually re- really wrestling with these words, and I'm like, can you, I was talking with Jay the other day in the office, and I was like, when I hear this, and I'm just like, it doesn't make me feel good. Like, God's encouragements, I'm like, all day long, I'm like, God, bring, bring the encouragements, it's like, I'll receive that, amen, yes, Lord. But then when I start hearing these things like this, where, where God goes, like, hey, if you forsake me, I'll forsake you. If you're not with me, I'm not with you. And I'm like, it just starts messing with me, and it starts kind of, uh, and then I look at Jesus' life, and then I realize Jesus had some, like, like, you know this if it's true. If you've, like, spent any time reading uh, the Gospels or the life accounts of Jesus, Jesus says some of the most profoundly encouraging things. He's like, little children, he's like, I've longed to gather you underneath my wings. I'm going to provide for you. And then in the very, like, like a few chapters over, you'll see Jesus say, if you're ashamed of my words, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father and the angels. And I was like, whoa. Then you have the apostle Paul. He's writing to the church and he's constantly like, you are chosen by God. He's like, you are, you are cleansed. You are holy people. You're set apart. And he's like, but then he'll say in the next breath, I warn you, if you walk away, if you live in this lifestyle, he's like, you won't enter the kingdom of God. So there's encouragements and there's warnings. And I just wanted to ask the question to myself and maybe for us tonight is like, why does God do it this way? I think there's a couple of things to know. One, um, God's encouragements and warnings are all motivated by love. It's not like his encouragements are because of love and then his warnings because he's mad. He, wa- he warns and encourages because, he's lo- because he loves. <clears throat> I was talking to my small group le- leader uh, the other day or a couple of weeks ago and he was asking me, he's like, hey, who are you like, closest to in your life right now? And I was kind of talking about a certain, like a couple of people in my life that I feel like God's really gifted me with that I've been able to walk with and it's just been super encouraging. And I said, you know what, Sean? I was like, you know how I measure how I'm close to somebody? And he's like, how? And I was like, not if they're encouraging, not if they're nice, but it's how honest they can be with me. And it's how honest I can be with them. Because I know if they can say to me, hey man, I don't like that. Or hey, when you do this, I, that, I was like, I know they love me when they say that. And there's a trust there. And I think that's the same thing with God. It's because God loves us so much and because he's so intimate with us and because he knows us so much and because he cares what's best for us, he gives us encouragements and warnings. And I would also say both are motivated by love, but I would also say that both are needed for our faithfulness to Jesus. I would say if we only heard God's encouragement in our life, we would just kind of keep going and coast. But have you ever had that moment where like God cuts in and says, hey, you can't do that. It kind of like sends a, I would say like a holy fear, a holy shock where you just go, okay. And typically in those, in, in those times in my life, it's actually the things that actually propel me deeper into my relationship with, with the Lord. And so we see right off the bat that the Lord shows up with encouragement and warnings for Asa to keep going. Look at verse eight. We're going to see what God's encouragement does. In verse 8, it says, When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took 
encouraged. Now, I love this because we see that God's encouragement, God's encouragement in your life, it's intended to create courage that we might remain committed to his kingdom call. And I love when God encourages you, divine encouragement always leads to divine courage. Um, I've actually shared this story with maybe a couple of you. I don't think I've, I've shared this with all of 710. But um, every now and then I could get into seasons, or not even seasons, but there's certain days in my life where I start to feel the discouragement. And like I'm seeking the Lord, like I'm obeying him, I'm taking the next like right step, even though I don't know the future. And there was one particular uh, Wednesday, I think it was after a Tuesday night, that I was, re- I was really feeling uh, discouraged about just honestly, I think I was just discouraged with me and my leadership and um, not because of sin or anything, but because of an inadequacy. <clears throat> and I was on a walk with the, with the Lord and I was walking around this campus and uh, I was discouraged, uh, very similar to what um, Asa might have felt. And I was just, I was walking and I was kind of having a bad attitude and I was like, all right, Lord, I was like, I'm, I'm open like, I'm open for your correction, because, like, I know, if you guys know that, we're like, I just know what's in my heart right now, and, Lord, I just want to say I'm open, you can speak to me. And so I was on this walk, and I was walking, and then literally I can't explain this, and if you kind of cultivated um, an awareness of the Spirit speaking to you, all of a sudden this shot, like, kind of, this thought shot through my mind, and it said, are you open to my encouragement? And I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird and I was like I'm not even sure if that was from the Lord and I was like all right Lord whatever I was like if you want to encourage me today I'd gladly take it but I'm pretty sure that's just me begging for something and so I finished my walk and uh, I was still feeling low and I went into my office and I worked for like two more hours on something and uh, and then I looked at my phone and I had like an eight minute voice memo from Matthew Lambert is Matthew here there he is that the Lord uses that dude and, uh, and so I was like, an eight-minute voice memo from Matthew. I was like, what the heck does he want? I was like, what? That is so, nobody talks to me through voice memos. And, uh, and so guess what? I went up and I got on like the same walk. And so I'm walking out there and I'm literally right out there, right where, I, where the Lord says, are you open to my encouragement? And so I pull out my phone. I'm like, oh yeah, Matthew sent something. And then, uh, and then, got, and then all of a sudden he goes, hey, it's Matthew. And uh, he's like, I just really feel like the Lord wants me to encourage you right now. And I was like, oh boy. I was like, that was God. And um, he's like, I'm in the prayer room, praying. He's like, the Lord just laid you on my heart. And literally, I can't explain it, for the next eight minutes, he voiced like eight insecurities that I was like having and uh, discouragements that I was feeling as I was trying to seek the Lord. And he, it wasn't like like fluffy, like, oh, you're doing so good, I'm so proud of you. It was like, here's what God says to that. And it just filled me with thankfulness encourage but there's also like warnings in it it's like don't do don't listen to that that voice is not of God it was like he was like the encouragement and it was this warnings and like and and that's when when I read this passage of scripture where it says Asa took courage we see that God when we are seeking him he often shows up oftentimes through his word or through maybe even a a prophetic thing where he says I'm going to encourage you and it was just a powerful moment and I would just say if you haven't had a moment like that with the Lord um, that maybe you'd open yourself up. Like if you're saying like, Lord, I'm really like seeking you. Sometimes we don't, we block off God's encouragement in our own way, in our hearts. Sometimes we don't believe that God wants to speak to us this way. 
But I would just encourage you, maybe open yourself up to how God wants to encourage you in this season. And so what we see is that God's encouragement is supposed to create courage. But I love this. Asa goes on. His encouragement uh, doesn't just create courage that leads to nothing. Look at uh, the rest of verse 8, what he says. So, so when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. And then, right, I love this. He says, he removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he captured in the hills of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. And so, right off the bat, we see that wholehearted seekers of God value and respond to the word of God. I love this. Asa doesn't just acknowledge God's word. He goes, oh, that's true. Thank you, Lord. He actually responds to God's word. And so right here, we see that wholehearted, wholehearted seekers of God, they value and respond to the word of God. And so Asa, he hears this, he, he's filled with courage, and then he starts removing the idols, and then he starts repairing the altar, which is for proper worship. So he goes on to continue to, to purge and pursue. He's repairing, he's rebuilding. And, uh, I, and I love this, and one of the things that I was thinking about with this is one of the biggest dangers I think that we can get in uh, as Christians is we're, we're really good that it, like, we're really good acknowledging God's word, but we're not good at actually obeying it sometimes. And I think it's one of the biggest tragedies of the Christian life, and I think it's one of the biggest deceptions of the Christian life, is where we hear sermons like this, or we're reading God's word, and we go, that is so true. Oh, that's so true. And you're sitting there, and you're listening. You're like, wow, that's, that's so true. And you go home, and you're like, hey, you know, what are you guys talking about in 710? Like wholehearted seeking God. It's like, oh, that's so great. How has that changed your life? And then we like make up an answer. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be the first one to talk about this in my life and to confess to it. But when I was reading this story, I think one of the things that, that God was saying to me is like, he's saying, listen, just because you acknowledge something's true doesn't mean you're actually doing it in faith. But wholehearted seekers of God, they value and they respond to the word of God. And so I just want to ask you one quick question. What in your life right now do you feel like God is calling you to that you might be acknowledging but you're not actually obeying? And I don't know what that is for you. And the Holy Spirit may have to make that known to you. Maybe you haven't even asked that question. But what in your life right now is God asking you to do something? Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's to step back on something. But God says, I don't want you to just hear it and acknowledge it, but I actually want you to value what I say and respond to it. And that's what I love about Asa is he hears God's word. It fills him with courage, and then it leads him to obedience. It fills him to go, I'm going to keep going, and I'm double downing on my seeking and my commitment to the Lord. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> excuse me, Asa, he has this encouragement, then he has this courage, um, and then, I love it, it leads to this, to this like wholehearted covenant commitment that he's gonna have with all the people. And so, in Asa's life at this moment, things are just kind of like continuing to build. Like, I, I just, like at the beginning of his life, he's just starting to give things over to the Lord, and he's just trying to follow the Lord that he best as can, and God's like interacting with him. He's having these incredible kind of encounters with God, these liberation moments, and these freedom moments, and these obeying moments. And then all these things, like he's getting prophetic words. And then I think at this point in his life, it leads him to like the pinnacle of like his like kingly career. Like this is like the pinnacle of like where he gets at. Look at verse nine with me. 
It says, then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them for large numbers, I love this, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel, that's the northern kingdom, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Now think about that for a second. Literally, the the northern and southern kingdom were separate because they weren't getting along. And Asa is leading the people in such a powerful movement and the presence of God was so strong that the people start to unify because of the presence of God. It's like this magnetic pull, which this isn't part of the sermon, but if you say you want to unify, it's around the presence of God. I love that picture. Verse 10, it says, they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign, so he's 15 years in. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle. I can't even imagine what that was like. And 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. So they're, they're sacrificing heads of cattle and sheep. Like there's this massive worship service and ceremony. And I love this. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors with all of their heart and with all of their soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death whether small or great, man or woman. And they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them and so the Lord gave them rest on every side. It's, it's kind of hard to read this and try to picture <clears throat> the moment, but I was thinking, I was like, the closest thing that I could think about like what this moment would have been like, because we don't have like covenant commitment ceremonies like when's the last time it was like hey what are you guys doing at church like yeah we have a covenant commitment ceremony it's like we're gonna vow to like we just don't do this anymore Uh, and uh but I was thinking I was like what would this be like like people are coming down from the northern kingdom they're sacrificing animals they're rejoicing they're singing it's this huge moment it's hard to get my mind around it and I was thinking I went to this might be cheesy but I went to a Suns game this last year and I like the Suns like I'm not like a diehard fan like I know enough about them but I went with Josh Kalin and uh, where's Josh at? There you are. It was a pretty good time. It was some, wasn't it? Well, anyways, it doesn't matter for the point of this. <clears throat> but we went to the Suns game, and the Suns were like trailing the whole game. And then I don't know if you remember this, like Cameron Johnson, it was like the last second, he came down and he hit like a buzzer beater. Um, anyways, he did. <laughs> and, uh, and literally, like, he said, like, the Suns were chilling the whole day. He came down. He hit this buzzer beater. And I'm not kidding. I've never been in, like, a, like a sports arena of, like, that. Like, people just, like, erupted. Like, I hugged Josh, like, five times after that. And I don't even know why. Like, I'm not even that big of a Suns fan. Like, I'm high-fiving people. And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Like, literally, like, people are, like, leaving. And they're just like, this is the greatest, you know, it's like, it's just absolute mayhem, and I was like, this is insane, but I was kind of like, I was like, I feel like that's what this was like, where, like, people are just like, I don't even know why we're hugging, but, like, we're sacrificing the Lord, we're worshiping, like, the joy, and it's like, this, it's this incredible moment where the people of God are coming in, and they're just saying, listen, we are done with half-hearted, like, mixing our idols, seeking the Lord, we are going to have a wholehearted commitment and we're going to covenant with one another to seek God and we're going to seek him with our heart and with, what, and with our soul and it's this beautiful moment. <clears throat> and so as I was kind of thinking about this, um, I want to just share maybe three characteristics or three observations from this 
kind of covenant commitment ceremony that I think might be applicable to us because like I said, we don't have uh, covenant commitment ceremonies, but I think, uh, I think this could be helpful. Uh, give me a break, I need to drink water. So <clears throat> the first thing, um, the first observation that I thought was really helpful was one, um, <clears throat> notice in verse 12 it says they entered into a covenant. covenant. It was a communal commitment. Look what it says. It says, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with, our, with all their heart and soul. Notice this. It doesn't say <clears throat> they individually made personal vows to privately seek God. It's they together as a whole community decided we are going to seek God together as a community. And I would just say, in our American individualistic culture, so oftentimes we try to seek the Lord and we try to seek him personally. Like we make vows, but they're not, they're not, they're not communal vows. It's like, hey, like us in our small group, like we're really going to really do this. Very rarely does this happen, but we just go, I'm going to really seek the Lord. And what happens? You can't maintain it. Because you cannot create a passion to seek the Lord on your own. If you've been a part of anything that's truly powerful, it has always included that you actually go the distance, it always requires other people. And I think for us as the people of God, we need to really like evaluate ourselves. And I was asking myself this, because I think oftentimes like pastors can actually be the most, um, like nobody knows their stuff. They can kind of like be in the crowd, but nobody actually knows them. And I was asking my, myself this question, of like who, and, and I would say, even ask yourself the question, who actually knows the parts of your heart that haven't been given over to Christ yet? Because those are the areas in your heart and in your life that are keeping you from wholehearted devotion. And until those parts of your lives are verbalized to brothers and sisters to partner with you, to uphold you, to carry you, to correct you, to encourage you, you cannot go the distance. God has always worked through a community and you have a role in that community. You get to be that to somebody else but other people have to, we have to humble ourselves to let people be that for us. And so I just wanna ask you that question. Who in your life knows the parts of your heart that haven't quite fully been given over to the Lord? And I would say the community of God is meant to carry you along when you can't carry yourself. It's a beautiful communal commitment. The second thing and this is the verse you're supposed to typically skip over when you do a passage like this. <clears throat> but I really think this part, it was a line in the sand moment. Um, look at verse 13 again. Uh, All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. And listen, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna go into a long discussion about this or was that right, ethical, or whatever. But um, one quick thing, I think they were living in a different culture, they were under a different covenant, there were different expectations uh, with God and his people, there were different warnings, there was all sorts of stuff. But I would say sometime, sometimes <clears throat> God brings his future judgment into the present to preserve the holiness and witness of his people. Asa just had to lead a radical reform to purge the nation of idols. And so there were people in the nation that says, well, I'm not worshiping God, we're keeping our idols. And that was gonna ensnare the people and so Asa says, you're going to be put to death. Now, how does that actually apply to us? We're going to have a line outside, and those of you who are not going to seek the Lord, no, I'm just kidding. It's horrible. <clears throat> That's not going to happen. But here's what's significant about that. This moment for this people was a line in the sand moment that said, am I going to seek God or am I not going to seek God? 
And we all have these experiences, and I was talking with another one of my friends from this ministry, and I would say sometimes as Christians, we just get stuck at the fork in the road sometimes, where we see the path of obedience to Jesus and his kingdom, and we see the path of darkness and like fulfilling our desires, and we just sit at the road, and we look both ways, and then we just sit there for like a year. We're like, I don't want to like fully commit because that means this, but I don't want to go there. Like, I love the world, but I also, you know, like we just kind of sit in the middle of it. I kind of, it came to mind. Have you ever been in cliff jumping with somebody that just wouldn't jump? You know, or you're like, all right, we're going to go cliff jumping. And they literally stand up there for like an hour. And they literally, and then they finally, like by the time you have to go, they jump and then they don't get to jump anymore. I feel like sometimes that's like us as Christians where we just, we stand at the top of the cliff and we're like, am I gonna, am I gonna jump into this wholehearted devotion to Jesus or like, am I gonna not? And we just sit there and stand. But I think line in the sand moments, they're, they're beautiful because one, they prevent you from coasting. You go like, are you gonna, like, all right, you're done. Are, are, you, are you gonna, are you in or are you out? And then once you jump or once you commit yourself to Jesus, they propel you forward into deeper faith. For me, this is my freshman year of college where I said, I'm done with my half-hearted version of following Jesus. It's my line in the sand. It's like I'm doing it. And what happened, my faith deepened and it blossomed and it was truly beautiful. And I would say sometimes you have to make a line in the sand moment for yourself or even tonight as we worship, maybe that's an opportunity for you. Like, am I gonna give my full self to Jesus or am I not? It was a line in the sand moment. And lastly, it was a a joyful and celebratory moment. Notice all throughout those verses it said there was loud acclamation. Like I wish I could just be there to like hear that. Like you know, we hear like stadiums like uproar for like sports games, but imagine if you heard that like for Christ. This loud acclamation, this worship of God, this overflow of rejoicing and joy. It also said that all Judah rejoiced. And I love this. It said it, they, they sought God eagerly. It reminded me of this verse in 1 John 5, 3. It says, loving God, you, I would also say seeking God, whichever, it's the same thing. It means keeping his commandments. And then typically we stop there and go, isn't that a drag? But what does it say? And his commandments are not What? burdensome. Listen, if you're a version of seeking the Lord and you hear these passages and it's like a burden to follow the Lord and it's a drag, you're doing something wrong. And I'm not saying this to like make you feel bad, but I'm just saying seeking God, repenting, turning away from sin, like seeking God with your whole heart, it's a beautiful thing. It's a rejoicing thing. It's worth singing and celebrating. And I would just say if if any other version that's not that is just not, it's not fun. <laughs> if you try to like seek God and it's just, it's just not fun. It's a joyful, beautiful thing to seek God that way. All right, let's finish the story. Look at verse 16 through 19. <clears throat> King Asa also deposed his grandmother. Here we go. Maka from her position as queen mother, because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah, Asa cut it down, broke it up, and burned it it in the Kidron Valley. Now think about this. You know you're seeking the Lord when you start going to grandma. And when you start going, hey, hey, grandma, like when you say, listen, your idols are affecting the family. And I just picture the scene where, you know, Asa comes up, he's like, hey, grandma, hi. (laughs) You have a lot of idols in your home. You're no longer queen mother. He is so passionate about the Lord that he goes to his grandma and he removes her from, from queen mother. And just so you know, 
the queen mother's role, because it kind of seemed weird, the queen mother's role uh, in this culture was to advise the king, and it was, the, and it was to teach the children of the royal harem. And so she would have been like, the, like the, one of the number one advice givers to the king, and she would have taught the king's children. And so if she's filled with idolatry and Ace is trying to purge the city of that, he's like, hey, I love you, Grandma, but you can't be queen mother. And so he starts messing with family dynamics and seeking the Lord. And then in verse 17, he says, although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart, I love this, was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Would you love that to be said at the end of your life? His heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of gold, the silver, excuse me, the temple of God, the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated and there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. It's this beautiful ending to the story. <clears throat> and what we're going to see next week is um, you would expect Asa to f- finish in faith. That he has this finishing faith, but we're actually going to see that there's a terrible turn to his story. And so Shannon's going to talk about that next week. But as we wrap up here, I want to give, um, give us just three things that I've been thinking about <clears throat> kind of like post-Asa's story. Because the whole, this whole covenant commitment, this like desire to seek God, um, I just, I was asking a question, what does it actually mean to like seek the Lord with your heart and soul? Like what does that actually mean? Like okay, you may go like, I want to seek the Lord, I want to seek him, I, like does this just mean I have more quiet times? Does this just mean I pray more? Like because if you go out of here and you're just like, I'm just going to read my Bible more and pray more, that's really good but like it doesn't actually capture the whole of what Asa is leading his people into. And so I think there's three things that I, uh, that I think Asa would say, like when I led the people to seek God with all my heart and all my soul, this is what I meant. And the first thing is that Asa led the people to have an all of life submission to Christ's lordship. An all of life submission to Christ's lordship. It, uh, Asa and the people were not vowing to have more quiet times. Like, we're going to go, and we're going to read the, like, that, that's, not, that's not what they were vowing to. What they were vowing to is this, that we, as the people of God, me personally, I am vowing to submit my life to God as king. And so, guys, I just want to say this. You live in a world right now where Jesus is reigning as king over all nations, Like he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And what it means to seek God is to align your full life with that reality. You live in a world, and I want to tell you, the world will tell you, I hear this all the time. It's just between me and God. Like, like, no, that your religion thing, like like that's your personal thing. Jesus being Lord of lords and King of kings is not a personal thing. It's a public thing. It's the most public thing there, there ever is. And so what we need to understand is that we need to have an all-of-life, joyful submission to Christ's lordship where we say, Jesus, in my decisions, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my sexuality, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my finances, you are my Lord. Jesus, in what I wear, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my relationship right now that I have, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my singleness, I don't like it, but you are my Lord. Jesus, in my pursuits, what I'm giving my life to, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my career, what I, how I act in it, what I'm pursuing, you are my Lord. Jesus, in my leisure, you are my Lord. It's an all of life submission to Christ. Like, if you want to know what it means to seek God, that's exactly what it means. 
The second thing I would say, it's an all of life submission to Christ's lordship, but it's by surrendering to the spirit. <clears throat> when typically when you think about Christ being Lord, you try to follow him. I, I, it, this is very subtle, but this is getting to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. We try to master being a Christian or we try to like master our faith when really the faith is just about being mastered by God. So we try to like control our relationship with God and manage it perfectly and it's like this like we're above it coming down on it but when what like the life that Jesus is calling us to it's it's a, actually a surrendering to the spirit. It's not trying to master your faith, it's surrendering to what God is trying to do. Cuz I'm telling you, God is leading you and what scripture says is that he's guiding you and whispering to you in every moment by the Holy Spirit. In every moment of your life, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's talking to you, he's guiding you, he's shepherding you, and he's saying, listen, surrender. Galatians 5.25 says this, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading, I love this, in every part of our lives. It's so going, Lord, I'm gonna submit to you as king, I'm gonna surrender to you in every moment by the Spirit, and as we do that, we produce the fruit of God's kingdom, and lastly, we do this through prayerful listening and dependence. And this is where I've actually, like the step where like in my life right now, this is what I'm trying to cultivate. Where literally in the everyday moment, in the most mundane things, from what I eat to the things I say, and I'm not perfect, I'm growing, but I'm just constantly asking God, like, God, what would you like in this moment right now? What would please you? God, I'm in this room, who do you want me to talk to? I'm writing the sermon, what do you want me to say? I'm talking to my wife, what do you want me to ask her? And it's cultivating a life where I'm prayerfully listening. I'm like, God, what do you want? I'm depending on him for his power. And then I trust, and it's beautiful. I submit to Christ. I surrender to the Spirit through prayerful listening and dependence. And I think that's what God is calling us to. That's what it means to seek God. And as we do that, we be the, there's beautiful witness to the world, and there's beautiful uh, a winsomeness to our lives that I think that can really happen through that. So... Uh, let's pray and let's uh, ask the Lord for help. <clears throat> uh, Lord, we love you. And uh, Lord, thank you for this story, Lord, that is in your word, uh, the life of King Asa. Lord, thank you, uh, Lord, that you have enabled us to seek you. God, that you have, uh, that you have raised our dead hearts to new life. Lord, that you have um, empowered us with your presence. Uh, and Lord, that you have given us yourself as a king, Lord, who, who reigns in righteousness and goodness and love. Lord, you are not domineering. Uh, Jesus, you say that if you want to know your heart, it's that it's gentle and lowly. And so, Lord, I pray that we would experience you as that God, one who is humble and gentle with us. But Lord, I also pray that we'd have a reverence before you, that we'd have an all of life, a joyful submission to say, Jesus, whatever you are asking me to do, whatever you want to say, wherever you want to send me, however long you want me to stay here, Jesus, I submit to you and I follow you. And Jesus, I pray that we would cultivate an awareness of the Spirit's leading and guiding in every part of our lives and that we'd be prayerfully uh, always seeking you, asking for your help, asking for your wisdom, and asking for your strength. And Jesus, you say that you are not leaving us as orphans, but Lord, you are sending us your, your presence and your spirit. And so, 
Lord, we ask for a filling of your spirit tonight that we may walk in your will, that we may seek you. Lord, I pray for the person who has baggage in their hearts, and Lord, we all do, but who really feels it tonight, that they would just be able to release that to you. That they would be filled to know that you would take that, that you would refresh, that you would send mercy, and that you would forgive. So Lord, empower us. Help us to be your faithful witnesses in the world and teach us to walk in your ways, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.